Hello there. Welcome back to Got to Listen. With this video, I'm starting the series of audio books. The fourth series is a very interesting and mind-boggling book that is Brief Answers to Big Questions by one of the extraordinary scientists, Stephen Hawking. So, in this video, you'll listen about Stephen Hawking and the notes from the publisher, foreword, and introduction of this particular book. So before we start, make sure that you smash the subscribe button and hit the bell icon. So without any further delay, let's start. First, let's know about Stephen Hawking. Stephen William Hawking was an American theoretical physics cosmologist and author who was director of research at the Center of Theoretical Cosmology at the, at the University of Cambridge at the time of his death. He was the Eurasian Professor of Mathematics at the University of Cambridge in between 1979 and 2009. Hawkins received numerous awards and honors. Already early in this list, in 1974, he was elected as a Fellow of Royal Society, aka FRS. At that time, his nomination read, Hawking had made major contribution to the field of journal relativity. These derived from a deep understanding of what it is relevant to physics and astronomy, and especially from mastery of wholly new mathematical techniques. So now, let's move on to the note from the publisher. Stephen Hawking was regularly asked for his thoughts on the big questions of the day by scientists, tech entrepreneurs, senior business figures, political leaders, and the journal public. Stephen maintained an enormous personality of his responses which took the form of speeches, interviews, and essays. This book draw from the personal achievements and was in development at the time of his death. It has been completed in collaboration with his academic colleagues, his family, and the Stephen Hawking state. A percentage of the realities will go to Motor Numerous Disease Association and Stephen Hawking Foundation. Now let's move on to forward. Eddie Redmayne. The first time I met Stephen Hawking, I was struck by his extraordinary power and his durability. The determined look in his eyes, coupled with the embalmed body, was familiar to me from my research. I had recently been engaged to play the role of Stephen in the story of everything and had spent several years studying in his work and the nature of his disability, attempting to understand how to use your body, express the passage of motor neuron disease over time. And yet, when I finally met Sisson, the icon, this scientist of phenomenal talent whose main communication was through a computerized voice along with a pair of exceptionally expensive eyebrows, I was floored. I tend to get nervous in the silence and talk too much whereas Sisson absolutely understood the power of silence, the power of feeling like you have been sculpted, frustrated, 
I choose to talk to him about our birthdays. We were only days apart. Putting us in the same vertical sign. After a few minutes, Stockton replies, I am an astronomer, not an astrologer. He also indicated that I call him Stephen Hawking and stop referring to him as Professor. I had been told the opportunity of portrait Stephen was an extraordinary one. I was drawn to the role because of the duality of Stephen's external strength in his scientific work and the internal battle against motor neuron disease starting in his early teens. He was unique, complex, rich story of human invader, family life, huge academic achievements and three difference in the face of all obstacles. While we wanted to portray the inspiration, we also wanted to show the grit and courage involved in the different life. Displayed both by him and by the one who cared for him, but it was equally important to portray the side of Tiffin, which was pure showman. In my trailer, I ended up having three images that I referred to. One was Einstein, which is stung out because there's that similar playful wit with Hawkins. I felt Tiffin Hawkins had people in the palm of his hand. And the third one was James Dion. That and what was I gained from seeing him? The glint and the humor. The greatest pressure in playing a living person is that you will have to account for your performance to the person you have been portrayed. In Stephen's case, the accounting was also to his family, who had been so generous to me during my preparation for the film. Suppose Stephen was into screening, he said to me, I'll tell you what I think, good or otherwise. I replied that if there was otherwise, perhaps he could have just said otherwise and tell me the discordant details. Journalistly, Stephen said he had enjoyed the film. He was moved by it, but famously he also stated that he thought there should have been more civics and fewer feelings. This is possibly to argue with. Since the theory of everything, I have stayed in the contact with the Hawking family. I was touched to be asked to give rid of the different tuners. It was an incredibly sad but brilliant day full of love and joyful memories and reflection of the most courageous men who had led the world in this time and in his quest to have disabled people recognized and given proper opportunities to thrive. We must, we have lost a truly beautiful mind as astronauts, scientists and the funniest man I have ever had the pleasure to meet. But as his family said, at the time of Stephen's death, his work and legacy will live on and so it deals with the sadness but also great pleasure that I introduce you to this collection of 
Stephen Hawking's writing on diverse and fascinating topics. I hope you enjoyed this writing and to quote Barack Obama, I also hope Stephen Hawking is having fun up there among the stars. Love, AD. So now, let's move on with the introduction. An introduction, Professor Tim S. Thorne. I first met Stephen Hawking in July 1965 in London, England, and at the conference on journal Relativity and Gravitation, Stephen was in the midst of his PhD studies at the University of Cambridge. I had just completed mine at Piscon University. The rumors swirled around that the conference hall that Stephen has divorced a complaining argument that our universe must have been born at some point time in the past. It cannot be infinitely old. So, along with this hundred people, I squeezed into a room designed for Fatty to hear Stephen Hawking speak. He walked with a cane and his speech was a bit stuttered, but otherwise he showed only modest on his monitor neuron disease which he had been diagnosed just two years earlier, his mind was clearly unaffected. His lucid reasoning revealed on Einstein's journal relativity equations on and on astronomers' observations that our universe is, our universe is expanding and on a few simple assumptions that seemed very likely to be true. And it is made use of some new mathematical techniques that Roger Brunsall had recently derived. Combining all these ways that were clever, powerful and complaining, Stephen disputed his result. Our universe must have begun in some sort of singular state, roughly through our universe must have begun and roughly 10 billion years ago. Over the next decade, Stephen and Robert combining forces would go to prove ever more conveniently this singular beginning of life and also prove that every inconveniently that the core of every black hole is inhabited by a singularity where time ends. I emerged from Stephen in 1965 lecture impressed not just by his argument and conclusion but most importantly by the insightful and creativity. So I sought him at out and spent an hour talking privately with him. That was the beginning of a lifelong friendship, a friendship based not just on common science interests but a remarkable mutual sympathy and uncanny ability to understand each other as human beings. Soon, we are spending more and more time talking about our life, our love, and even death that about science. Though our science was still much of the glue and bond us together. In September 1973, I took Stephen and his wife Jane to Moscow, Russia. Despite the raging cold war, I had been spending a month or so in Moscow every other year since 1968, 
collaborating on the source with a number of groups led by Yoke Bonjinsa Zendovich. Zendovich was a superb astrophysiologist and also a father of solvent hydrogen bombs. Because of his nuclear secret, he was forbidden to travel in Western Europe or America. He created discussion and a bit Stephen. He could not come to Stephen, but he went to him. In Moscow, Stephen Bob Dijon and hundreds of other scientists with his insight. And in return, Stephen learned a thing or two from Dijon. Most memorable was an afternoon that Stephen and I spent and his PhD student Zylak in Stephen's room in the Rosia Hotel. Explained in Hinduist language a remarkable discovery they had made, the Starobiski explained in mathematically. To make a black hole find acquires energy. We already knew that. A black hole, they explained, can use its fine energy to create particles and the particles will fly away carrying the fine energy with them. This was new and surprising, but not terribly surprising when an object or energy of motion usually finds a way that hold up. There's an error on my screen, please hold up. Ah, so here we go again. So this was a new and surprising but not terribly surprising. When an object has energy of motion, nature usually finds a way to extract it. We already knew other ways of extracting a black hole's fine energy. This was just a new, though unexpected way. Now, the great value of conversation like this is that they can trigger new direction of thought and so it was with Stephen. He mulled over discovery for several months, looking at the first from one direction and then from other, until one day it triggered a truly radical inside of Stephen Hawking's mind after a black hole stopped finding. The hole can still be imprint particle, it can radiate and it radiates as though the black hole was hot like sun. Though not very hot, just mildly warm. The heavier hole will lower its temperature, a hole that weighs as much as sun has a temperature of 0.0000006 Kelvin that is 0.06 millionth of a degree above the absolute zero. The formula for calculating this temperature has now rang on Stephen's headstone in the University of London where his ashes reside between those of the Isaac Newton and the Charles Darwin. This hogging temperature of a black hole and its hogging radiation as it came up to be called was truly radical, perhaps most radical theoretical physics discovery in the second half of the 20th century. They opened our eyes of profound connection between journal relativity, black hole, the physics of heat, the creation of particles were before there or none. For example, 
they led Stephen to prove that a black hole has entropy, which means that somewhere inside or around the black hole there is enormous randomness. He disputed that the amount of entropy, a logarithm of holes, amount of randomness is proportional to the hole's surface. This formula of entropy is engraved on Stephen's memorial stone of at Gonville and Celsius College in Cambridge where he worked. So now, here we come. In my analogy for Stephen at an interment as of his ashes in a bay, I memorized the struggle of with these words. Newton gave us answers. Hawking gave us questions, and Hawking's questions themselves giving and on giving generating breakthrough decades later, when ultimately we mastered the quantum gravity law and compared firmly the birth of our universe, it may have largely been standing on shoulder of Hawking. So this was it. I hope you find this answer as stimulating and insightful as I do. Enjoy. Tip S. Thorn, July 2008. So this was the introduction of this book. So that's it for today. My next video will be starting with the first chapter as well as we'll also get to know about that why we must answer and answer the big questions that was also told by Stephanie. So till then stay tuned with us and don't forget to smash the subscribe button and hit the bell icon and please like this video to show your love and support and also share it with your friends and families to make them as curious as you are. Okay, till then enjoy yourself. Bye bye.